Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thank you for joining us once again for our show. We always appreciate the listens and the feedback that we get from everyone. And so thank you again for the time you're taking to not only listen to the episodes, but also maybe sharing it and talking about talking about the content to others around you. And that's what we hope that this podcast can bring is about further communication in different areas of people's lives. And so today, uh, I'll be the host today. Sean Ram is not around. So I'm the host, Joshua Black. And I'm the Grief Dreams researcher. And so today we have the guest host, Jade Carling Black. Good morning. Good morning, Jade. How was your night? It was, it was good. It was good. A little bit. Um, I was up repeatedly with my newborn. So um, a little bit tired today, but, but still in good spirits and really looking forward to this episode. So I'm good. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'm guessing we're going to talk about parenting some, yes, some place in this, yeah, in this podcast. So uh, this should be a good episode for you. Yes, All right. absolutely. All right. So our guest today is Anna Seewald, and she is a founder of Authentic Parenting. She's a speaker, author, and parent educator. As a child, she survived through a severe earthquake, but her young mom did not. She has been through trauma, pain, and a lot of suffering. With a strong passion helping children, Anna dedicated her life working with abused, neglected, orphaned, institutionalized children and juvenile delinquents. After nearly 20 years, she realized that it is through helping parents she can help children. Today, she is supporting parents around the world by moving from traditional ways of parenting into more peaceful, conscious ways by making sense of their past life experiences, healing from trauma, building effective communication, practicing non-punitive discipline, and setting limits with love and kindness. Welcome, Anna, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I am glad to be here. Yeah, we've been trying to get you on for a little while, and so it's great that we finally have you on. I was actually, I had the opportunity to be on your podcast, Parenting Conversations, Authentic Moments podcast on June 8th, and that was really good. I really enjoyed that episode for two reasons. One, I got to sort of share a little deeper about my my journey through loss, but also there is a, uh, a something mysterious happened and the half the podcast got lost. And so it was kind of interesting on, on how we dealt with that and your suggestion of actually just recording yourself talking about what you learned in the second half that was dropped. And I thought that was a really, really cool way of doing something new with the podcast rather than having to re-record it all again. And sometimes we do that. But, you know, like, in as you know, probably through podcasts, a lot of stuff can go wrong. And so it's nice how we can sort of make amends with what, what was left. And yes, how resourceful to do that. Yes, you know, it, well, you were speaking about how you didn't have a chance to say goodbye to your father. And I was speaking about my experience, how I did not have a chance to say goodbye. And I did not have a closure with my mom, with my loss. And in that moment, <laughs> something mysterious really happened. We didn't have a chance to say goodbye in the podcast episode, both of us talking about loss and having no closure. And it was kind of eerie at first, I have to admit. But I said, wow, this is maybe more meaningful than it is because you were asking me such thoughtful and deep questions. And I was opening up on my own podcast for the first time uh, very vulnerably about my loss, about my mom and my feelings. And I guess it wasn't meant to be for my listeners to listen to that part. And it, it was very private for me to take away from our conversation and contemplate. And it was very special in that way. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was very mysterious. I, I kind of liked that. I had like a, it was a different kind of feel uh, to it. So you know, that, that's amazing. And so now we get to sort of uh, talk about your journey here. And that's the one thing, you know, like it's fun being on other people's podcasts, but you can't really interview them per se because it's, it's supposed to be about sort of you and, and the work so it's nice that you came on here so us for our listeners and for me and jay to learn more about who you are and what got you started in this business of helping parents and so i think since your journey really began with the loss of your mother can you talk about what was it like what kind of memories you had of her before the earthquake 
before the earthquake, I was only 13 years old when the earthquake happened, and I had a really good childhood, very carefree, playing outside the whole day until late night, you know, having loving parents. They were together, not divorced or dysfunctional. A really loving extended family, grandparents, uncles, cousins, and everybody involved. So I grew up having a really secure base, a good, secure attachment. And as a child, I I think I wasn't so independent, per se. And I can tell you why I know this now. Because, you know, my needs were met. I was taken care of. All I would do is just go to school and study and play and be happy. Um, but the earthquake happened, and it was all gone in a few seconds. So my memories of my childhood with my mom were very positive, uh, very happy, and she would never, you know, beat us or (laughs) heat us or anything, spanked us, nothing of that nature, always loving, caring, warm. I see her in the kitchen, in, in the very retro blue kitchen, 80s kitchen, cooking and having friends over, drinking coffee, giggling, smiling, cooking food for other people, baking for other people. And my mom was a teacher, so I would help her with grading uh, her students' work, or she would ask me to write her lesson plan. She would dictate, and I would be of help. So I was really in love with my mom as a person, as an individual. She would get flowers all the time from from her students. And I was like, wow, you know, my mom is very special that people love her so much. She gets always flowers and presents and notes and cards. So my memories uh, before the earthquake were very warm um, and and really very special. Wow. Well, I'm glad they were special because it'd be a different podcast if it wasn't. So I'm glad you had your mom was a good role model on parenting in itself. And so where was this earthquake? This earthquake was in Armenia in 1988. And I am from a small town with 20 to 30,000 people uh, called Spitak. And that was the epicenter of the earthquake. And December 7th is the day the earthquake happened, 1988, and it was horrific. You know, it was a really major, severe earthquake. Uh, In my building, for example, uh, it was a three-story building. We lived in an apartment building. At the time, there were 74 people in the building during the earthquake, and only four survived, two of them, me and my brother. Wow. That's, so was that commonplace for that? Like, did you have other earthquakes before this one or was it, do you know what I mean? Did, did, did you expect it in the area or was it kind of out of left field? It, it was kind of unexpected, even though Armenia is a seismic uh, area. But the, I guess the magnitude, maybe that was, you know, was not expected. I'm not sure historically, actually I should maybe know, but I don't historically what kind of earthquakes happened in Armenia. But for that region, basically, that was the first time of that magnitude. Wow. And so four people survived in in your whole building, and two of them were you and your brother. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how how did you guys survive? Were you just not in the building or like what actually happened? We were in the building. We were watching TV. Me and my brother used to go to school um, in the afternoon. You know, sometimes not all the students go at 8 a.m., right? So we had like our classes would start in the afternoon. Uh, So we were second shift, so to speak, because the school was small. They, you know, because of the lack of classrooms, they would have a second shift. So um, my mom and my dad were in a different school. They were both teachers. And we would go to a different school. We would walk to school, which was very close to our apartment building. Me and my brother, he's two years younger than me. 
I clearly remember, you know, it was December, but our apartment was very warm. So we had no shoes, no socks on, you know, house clothes, um, tank tops and things like that. We were watching TV and it just, uh, you know, you don't know what's happening. But the funny thing is the night before an earthquake happened, December 6th, an earthquake happened, very minor. It shook the apartment. Nothing happened, nothing major, and it was, I believe, 6 p.m. on December 6th. And then when we were going to bed uh, December 6th, another one happened. So like series of small hits, but not a major one. And I remember when we were going to bed after the second uh, earthquake, my mom said, oh, my gosh, hope it's, you know, hope this is going to be, you know, not major because earthquakes usually come in threes. So and this is very sad for me because truly the third one was the <clears throat> major one. And that was the last time I saw my mom with those words, kissed us goodnight. And in the morning they went to school because, you know, they were first shift in the school. And we never saw them in the morning, the 7th, December 7th. And... But those words were with me. Thank you for sharing that. It's, you know, like, I've never experienced an earthquake. And, you know, like, the death of my father was, was not like that. And so what, what happened afterwards? So you, the earthquake hit. And how did you, like, how did you find out? Like, how was that process like? You know, it was sort of, you know, you do you, as a child, you don't know what's happening, even though we knew it was earthquake because of the last night's previous experience. So I remember I pulled my brother uh, into the corner and we just, you know, held our heads um, in the corner and we stayed there until it was over. And um, luckily nothing hit us in the head or anything like that. But once we opened our eyes, it was, you know, all ruins. We were basically in the ruins and couldn't even recognize the place anymore. And we were sort of outside because there were no walls. And we were on top of, you know, broken and ruined things and stones and doors. And um, we sort of helped each other, um, you know, sort of tried to get out of there but at some point we realized that you know it's not a regular way you can't just open the door and get out um it was it was a weird sensation it, as if i don't know it's a real experience even as i'm describing now it's hard to put into words but we saw our refrigerator on the way and we saw you know broken things and things like of that nature and um here we were on top of this ruins and we were on the top floor so we were really on top of the ruins and um we pulled one another you know we slid we found like a piece of wood or broken door and used it as a slide just to go downstairs so to speak to hit the ground and um there i saw my neighbor at that time who was also a survivor and she was like crazy, you know, yelling and screaming and trying to get to her family, perhaps, from outside in. And, um, and, and then we, you know, once we hit the ground, we saw that we looked around and everything was gone, you know. There was this building in front of me, uh, and there were people hanging and screaming for help. You know, it was horrific. And uh, we just decided to go to find our parents. That was the first thought. And we didn't know where our parents' school was. That's the worst part because it was far from the town. And we were just walking aimlessly like that, me and my brother. And then uh, somebody recognized us and said, where are you going, kids? And we said, we're going to find our parents. And they said, you better go to your grandma's house right now. And my grandma's house was very close to our building. So 
We did. Thankfully, we listened to that person, and we went to my grandma's house. Um, I mean, it was also, you know, not there, but people were gathering there. My grandma and uncle and survivors of my family were gathering there. And many came and some didn't. Uh, And uh, that was the first time I had a feeling that I may not see my mom because whoever survived, it seems like they were out and they were there. And I had that feeling for the first time. I can't imagine that. Just as you're painting that picture of that experience and like how emotional that would feel. And just so many, uh, oh, you know, overwhelming, not even from the just the disaster, like the earthquake itself, but just that feeling of unknowns and confusion and, you know, feeling displaced. And, and I can only imagine what your, you know, your mind felt like. And it's just really, really traumatic. And, I just really feel for your experience that you went through. Thank you. And so, like, once everyone, like, got together and, you know, the wreckage has been sort of seen, was there, like, a a mass memorial? Because I'm guessing there was a lot of people that passed away or died that day. And and what was that like? So, they, we stayed there at my grandma's. Um, you know, my uncle came and... We got news that his wife was dead, too. And, you know, and the neighbors, people, just strangers were uh, passing news to one another. If they knew of someone or they witnessed something, you know, the news would just fly. So for several hours, we were there, and my father didn't come. My mother didn't come. Um, and my cousin didn't come. You know, some of the people didn't come. So we realized that, that that's it. But then my uncle arranged a car ride for us, for the children and his wife, my cousins and us, to be evacuated because there was that was not a place for us to be. And the survivors were trying to go and look under the ruins for for their bodies, dead people. And um, so they evacuated us after several hours, and uh, we went to a very strange place, also hit by an earthquake, but not so severely. And, uh, you know, we slept on the ground. We, you know, we stayed there for maybe two weeks or so, and those people were nice and gave us food. Of course, we didn't eat. We didn't shower. We were on the ground. It was December. Uh, A lot of hardship there, too, but I did not see at this point my dad and my mom. And my dad was injured severely, so they took him to a hospital or something like that. And again, it was a disbelief for us. You know, they told us your dad is alive, but we haven't found your mom. And we didn't know if that was the truth. Um, you know, and um they actually found my mom after four days, um, you know, because it's not so easy to find people under the ruins. They needed a lot of man force to come from different parts of the world or uh, of the country itself to dig out bodies and search under the ruins. So the news was they found my mom after the fourth day, and and that's it. Uh, I didn't even though they did have a burial service for my mom and my aunt at the same time. Um, But we did not participate. We did not see or anything like that. And actually, my grandmother, my mom's mom, who came to take us, but we didn't go with her. Um, We, She told us, oh, your mom is alive. She's going to come one day. She was... You know, she was. She had some broken legs or things like that. They took her, the humanitarian aid people took her to a different country to uh, treat her and things like that. Um, but we knew that was not true. And um, so that disbelief, 
lingered for a long time, you know. From one hand, in your heart you know the truth, but no one is telling you the truth. So I had that disbelief for a long time, and I lived with that and hoping my mom would show up one day. Wow. You know, like, it's hard enough to lose someone, but to be in that spot, that gray area where you don't really know and no one's willing to tell you. You know, that's like, I don't know, like, I don't know how you, you live with that and how you, how you kept pushing forward, you know, because here you are now, you know, doing a lot of amazing things, but like, what you must have had to go through to get to where you are is, is absolutely remarkable. You know, I look at my life and I'm like, man, like, it's nothing compared to what you've been through. And here you are, you know, you're, you're happy and you're trying to help others. I think it's remarkable on where you've come from. And so if you could go back, what is some of the things you wish that would have happened differently? Uh, I don't know if I wish things have different, um, would have been different. I don't know. Like, did you want to go to the funeral or did you want to, did you want people to be honest with you right away? Like, would, would that have helped, I you think? I think that would have been, yeah. The funeral, I don't know if I wanted to go. Even today, I'm not sure because it's hard for a child to, to see their parent gone as a, as a young child. You know, when you're an adult and they're sick, it's different. But And when you're a child, it's like I can't imagine. My daughter is nine. I, I can't imagine something like that. So, I, I, and I know why people lied, you know, they wanted to protect us and, and all that, but maybe that would have been the right thing to do. I don't know. I think people did the right thing at the time with what they could do. And, of course, my grandmother lost her young daughter. My mom was 35, um, you know, so. Right. And I think, too, it's easy for us to say I would have wanted it this way or that way and and I think you say something important when you say it happened the way it had to and, and people were doing what they thought was the best thing at that time. And you can just imagine even a grandparent telling a grandchild, like how hard that would have been to say your mom, you know, has passed and, and, just, and to sit with that. that. That's a whole, you know, that's a very difficult thing in itself. So I think was in, in such an emotionally charged time for everybody, I think, you know, uh, people do the best they can. And, and obviously, you know, no one's prepared for that. And no one, you know, the day before woke up and said, oh, I'm going to have to, you know, deal with this this week. So I think, you know, in times like that, people just literally do the best they can and, and to have understanding and compassion for that. I, I, I agree. I agree. And and they did. They did help us uh, a lot. But there was something interesting that uh, even now, I would say, my brother, my father, and I never had a conversation about our loss, about our mom, and things like that. It's always very silent. Uh, you know, I don't know. There is this silent communication perhaps but it's never very open i guess right. it was hard for everyone and they moved on but uh, my father never remarried uh and we visited my mother's cemetery this year after 12 years i visited armenia and my brother came with me and we visited the cemetery and it was the same thing everybody was standing there silently and trying to process and uh, go whatever they're going through, but it was never open. Afterwards, it was silent again, and no one shares or says anything. It's just everybody it deals with it on their own, in their own way. But there is this common thread runs through all of us, and we can feel how others feel. You don't have to use words. Um, right. and my daughter actually came with me. That was very meaningful too to the cemetery first she didn't want to go but then she came and she hugged me and she says mommy I know this means so much to you and you know she was very special for her to be there with me and uh, shared that moment with me 
And so as you, as you moved forward, like, how did you cope as a child? And did you stay in the same city or did you, were you moved somewhere else to live with someone else for the remaining of your, your, I guess, teenage years? Oh, no, we didn't stay in the same place. Again, we've been evacuated many times from place to place. But that year, you know, since it was mid-year, mid-school year, I guess the relatives and everybody, they didn't bring us back to our hometown. We were removed from there, and they said that we have to go on with our life and go to school and things like that. They wanted to normalize things for us. So they shipped us to Georgia, Republic of Georgia, to live with far, far relatives that I never met before, a wealthy family who had a large mansion, and 13 of us from our family were there, my grandmother, my aunt, and all the kids. And they took care of us for about seven months, eight months. They fed us. They they tried to take care of us, you know, the best they could. Again, you know, I didn't feel great emotionally there because no one was there to help you, to move through things or talk to you. But the best part was my my paternal grandmother was with us and my aunt was there and all the kids. I was, I'm the eldest from all the grandkids. And my younger uh, cousins, were, they were going through the same thing. They lost their mom. My younger cousin was four, and the other one was eight. And he had severe head injuries, nose injuries, all sorts of facial damage. So that was that part, too, because, yes, I am 13. I have feelings, and I'm going through this experience. But there's my cousins who I, t- I had to attend to who were younger who had their own pain, and their mom was not there. And our fathers stayed in our hometown, and they participated in recovery things and digging the ruins and, you know, doing work and things like that. But uh, it was when they were moving us from the temporary place to Republic of Georgia, I met my father for the first time two weeks later. And he came, and he you know, he, his hair got white, gray, like overnight. It was the first time I saw my father like that. And he had um, band-aids and things like that on his face because his face was had injuries and they sewed his face. And till now he has a very big scar. So it was very surreal again to meet him because, like, we lost hope already, but here he is. And... um but again, it was temporary. He just, by bus, they brought us to this Republic of Georgia, and they left us there. So uh, that was hard, too. We didn't, you know, stay with our dad. And we went to school there, you know, and we functioned. Uh, uh, my brother and I, we used to take two transportations in this big city where we didn't speak the language. We were forced to learn a foreign language and go to school and live with those people, and very with strict rules, really. I mean, he was a wealthy man, but but you couldn't eat at any time you wanted to. You know, there were very strict, harsh rules, and we would struggle a lot. Like, we, I remember I, I was hungry a lot. Um, so, yeah, it was not easy as a kid to, you know, to go through that. And then after the school year was over, they they brought us to Russia to... Uh, to a summer camp because we couldn't go back to our hometown. There was nothing there for us. You know, there was no place to live. So that period was extensive. And uh, by the time we came back to our hometown, you know, Italians, Norwegians, the whole world poured into Armenia and they built temporary little villages and houses for people. And uh, that's when we moved in. Uh, again, but we we didn't have our own little temporary little shelter. We had to live with my uncle and his kids. And my dad was, you know, sleeping with my grandparents in, in their barn or things like that. So it was a, a lot of hardship for many, many years until I graduated high school. Then I, you know, I went to a university in the capital of the country and and 
you know, adulted literally on my own, you know, got degrees and worked and my life unfolded. And then after many years, I came to America to get my graduate degree. And here I am today, many years later, almost 30 years later, and it feels as if it was my life, you know, because I was only 13 and 30 years has passed. So I've been alive post-earthquake more, many more years than prior. And then I, you know, my memory is very different. Like I, I have a hard time remembering my mother, um, you know, things of that nature. Well, it seems like even if you do have a hard time remembering her, a lot of the memories that you were, you know, describing at the beginning of the episode were really positive and and it felt like for a minute um that I was I was in your home and you know about to eat some of your mother's food and you, and, and you painted a, a a really beautiful picture of who she was. You might not remember everything, but it seems like you do have some really positive, heartwarming you know, memories of her. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And my maternal grandmother was alive for many, many years. She died in her 90s, and she really was a big support and a connection sort of to our mother. And she would come every week from a different town to be with us. We would go to her. So it was a big support in that way. Yeah, she seemed like the rock, your grandmother, to really tried to bring the family together in a difficult time. I think, you know, that's an amazing quality that she had because she's grieving and she's probably lost many people in her own town and everything. And so it's, it's all, I'm always fascinated on how people can like band together uh, through these difficult and tragic times to help each other and try to rebuild and, and everything, even though it's still very difficult, there's still that hope and that courage to keep going and to keep helping others uh, even you even though so like they you know they didn't know exactly what to do um, but they did try to help in different ways and i think that's probably the most important thing and so when you went back there this year was did you get like any kind of flashbacks of what used to be there before the earthquake or no um the funny thing is when i went this time I visit, you know, I went to my grandmother's house, uh, my fraternal grandmother's where I grew up and spent all my summers and things like that. I had memories of a very early childhood, not post-earthquake or right before the earthquake, very, very even younger memories. That was interesting. But um, like the climbing the mountain and, you know, playing outside, seeing those streets, you know, it's still under the ruins, you know, they never fully rebuilt the town, sadly, uh, and it's visible, it's palpable. Then I visited my maternal grandmother's house, and it's even worse, and the house is non-existent, literally, it's shambles, and I just took pictures of the window and the door and things like that, but vaguely remembering what it used to be, you know, in this house, it used to be laughter, and and cooking and warmth and smells and things like that. It's just neglected now, and it was very heartbreaking. And it's like as if I went to the past, honestly. When I, when I went back, it was this surreal experience again, and I moved through a time machine, and I'm in a different place, but I'm an adult, and my daughter is here. It all felt weird in, in many ways. And and I don't know I belong here, do I, do I don't, you know, everything seems similar, yet so foreign and strange. Oh. And in the place of our building, I couldn't even bear to go with my brother where our building used to be. He did go alone, he showed me the picture. There is a little monument, a little stone with the picture of our building, and it says, it's a little uh, water fountain. It says this is in the memory of the innocent victims of this building. And and that's it. And I couldn't bring myself to go because it's so unrecognizable. You know, you, you feel so strange because this is your childhood town. And, 
you don't belong here. You know, nothing is the same. No streets, no people, no building. It's it's very strange. So I never wanted to go back for many years. It's a lost town. But, you know, many of my relatives still live there. So we have to go and maintain that connection. But emotionally, it's it's a strange feeling. Wow. I um I'm interested to know because uh just rereading your bio here I think I think life is so weird in the way that um the experiences that we go through guide us to do you know what we later do or like what our passions are or what we do for work or how we kind of find our purpose in the world and I can I can make some connections surface connections between your story and what I read in your bio and what you're doing now. And so I'm just, if you could talk a little bit about what you're doing now and how how you believe that your experience kind of inspired you um, in terms of developing authentic parenting and and your writing and, and just kind of touch on, on on some of that for us. I'd be interested to hear that. Well, I, you know, after the earthquake, when I went to that summer camp, I met a group of orphans there. For the first time in my life, I met real orphans. And I didn't realize, like, I was almost one at that time myself. But I connected with those kids very much. And uh, I said to myself, I'm going to become a psychologist and work with orphans. Um, I didn't know what that meant as a 13-year-old at the time. <laughs> But something moved in me that I had this pull to help children, that no child should ever suffer anything, that even if they suffer, you need to offer support and be there emotionally. Um, Absolutely. uh, You know, that adults have a big role. So I dedicated myself in that, in working with kids. And, and, uh, you know, that was predominantly my career. But when I became a parent myself, I realized that first our past impacts the way we parent everything the trauma the attachment history everything that we went through as non-parents when we become parents it's just your emotional baggage is like amplified and it's like deal with with me so i realized that first lesson and second i realized that mothers are lonely parents are they don't know what they're doing, and people are blaming and judging parents, but they need help and support, and we know all this information and research and data, but poor parents are just parenting the same way their grandparents parented, and it's time to shift and wake up and um, help children, basically, because we don't want another generation to go through the same stuff as, as our parents or as us you know, grow up in emotionally um, illiterate households, as I as I like to say, you know, you know, your emotions are not welcomed, you know, shove it under the rug, crying is not okay, let's distract you, let's give you a cookie. And then people turn into addicts and, uh, you know, other sources to meet their emotional needs. So that became very vital for me to educate parents and be of support. And because when I became a mom, I realized that, wow, it's not the kids. Oh, my gosh, it's the parents who need help. Um, <laughs> right. And so I dedicated my – now um, I've been working for the past nine years with parents. You know, I created programs and classes and workshops and webinars and things like that. Um, and truly, it's it's remarkable. Working with people is, is immense joy and helping parents to – Unlock who they are, you know, what their authentic self is, because it's usually hidden, broken. We feel disconnected from our true self for whatever reason, be that due to trauma or other things. And it's hard to raise another human being and let that human being be an authentic, whole, complete child that they are when you have unresolved issues you're going to mess up no matter what. So the first step is to heal ourselves if we need to do that, if we need 
that healing, you know, and make sense of our early life experiences in order to be able to see our children happy and authentic and true to themselves. And I think, you know, what you said is really important about, you know, emotional awareness and emotional responsibility. And and I think um, it's it's so profound that we that we don't, you know, we become in, in touch with what we're feeling, but but in the same breath, not be unrealistic. You know, when you say, like, you're going to mess up no matter what. And I think there's a difference between, you know, healing yourself and having these expectations that you're going to be perfect. It's very different from holding yourself emotionally accountable and not judging what you feel, because then you can hold a better space for, you know, your child to not judge what they're feeling. And you have to be really, really comfortable with, your own suffering and to be able to, you know, allow whatever you need to feel to come up. I mean, that's a skill. Like not a lot of people can, can do that with like logical people and it's like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this and whatever. So to, to honor all the emotions, like the whole entire, you know, spectrum and to show your child that, you know, it's safe for you to do the same and it's safe for you to, feel whatever you need to feel and I'm going to offer you that space. It's so healthy and it goes such a long way to offer that. So, yeah, I think a lot of people look at their children and think, you know, you need to fix this. But I think, I think um, our children's behavior is, you know, uh, a magnifier of, of our own stuff. And through watching our children, we can really learn a lot about where we have yet to venture and things that we're neglecting in our own emotional being. So amazing connection and so important. I don't hear about that enough. And, you know, because our children's big emotions trigger strong reactions in us, but our children never the cause of how we feel. They may trigger us, but they're never the cause. So we need to look inwards and unpack our own baggage and face it and heal if need be in order to enjoy parenting, really. It's not a difficult task to parent. It's just that emotional aspect makes it a lot harder, uh, listening to a child's feelings and not trying to make them happy, um, you know, not rejecting their inner reality is, is, is important. Like, I teach this. I'm very passionate about this. I develop, like, a five-step process how you can create emotional safety and listen to your child's feelings and help them process and move through that and not be stuck or stagnant and raise emotionally intelligent children because they are resilient, you know. That's the source of well-being and vitality, empathy. You know, it's such an important lesson, I think. Huge. And I never really had that when I was, like, younger. I never really had... Well, I'm sure a lot of people share that experience, but like just really emotional, you know, I didn't know that. And so I was, you know, really afraid to feel. And I think too, I carried that into my early adulthood. It was only like until later that I'm like, oh, feeling your emotions is really important. And and like in my experience now, and I actually always say this to Joshua, like, like emotional intelligence is like, it's like a, a, a superpower for navigating life. Like it's in, in your career, in your relationships, in your relationships with yourself and like self-care. Like it leaks into every aspect. If you're emotionally intelligent, in my experience, you can be um, more joyful and your life is more colorful and more full and more authentic, as you said. So there's so many. And in the way that you deal with grief, and holding space for other people that have lost. Like, the benefits are just, like, endless. It's like, in my mind, it's, like, just dominoes of, like, so many helpful, healthy things come from being emotionally intelligent. And I've seen so many benefits from allowing myself to, to connect with my emotions in, in that way. And so I use that in my practice as well. And in my, you know, personal relationships. And... um I just think, you know, and now I'm going through the journey with the parenting, uh, which is a whole new experience for me. And you're absolutely right. Seeing her suffer or cry, it's like a, a pang inside me. And it's like, oh, what is that? You know, it's, it's, it's bringing some things 
to the surface, which I enjoy because I wouldn't know that those things are there if I, you know, didn't didn't have this experience. So it's really, really cool. And, and I like the way that you um, are using that and, and how you're so passionate about it. Like I can really feel how passionate you are um, about the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yes, I am. I get even more passionate. <laughs> And so some of the classes and stuff that people come to, what is maybe some common reasons people would come to see you? Oh, it's the everyday challenges people have. Nowadays, of course, number one is help me. I don't want to yell at my kids, but I'm just yelling and screaming all the time. Or my kid is on technology, screen time, how to set limits and boundaries. And, you know, I can't handle my kids crying or my kid is not listening, it's, 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 again, one of the top ones. So those are, you know, how to do the bedtime properly or, you know. But once you give information and explain a little bit of brain science and, you know, attachment and development, things like that, people learn a lot and they change their ways. And oftentimes it's just a mindset shift. Uh, you know, because we're so stuck in our old ways and in our old conditioning. Once we shift our mindset and do our own inner work and be open and trust ourselves and trust the process, trust our child, you know, things shift, you know. And, and then, of course, along the way, they learn techniques and tools and skills. I, I teach parents so they can speak effectively, for example, and get your child to cooperate instead of the old way of, you know, you don't have to yell your voice all the time. Let's look at that. Why are you yelling all the time? Um, you know, again, it's not always the child. Uh, the child is like a mirror, you know. It's like you have to look at yourself, what's happening. So I, I would say, you know, challenges are the same, but the stories of people are different. That's the main thing. It's so interesting. And I like, I said, just as Jade said, like, I like how you say, like, a child's a mirror for yourself. And I think that's a foreign concept for a lot of people because they're not taught that. And you're, and we're taught to project our emotions externally. So it's their fault. And you're saying, no, like, let's talk about you. Let's talk about how this is making you feel and feeling like you can't control the situation. What's that like? And so I, I really appreciate that. So, you know, hopefully, you know, from doing this, some parents out there that are having difficulties will reach out to you and learn a little bit about uh, themselves and, and how to provide a better space to uh, have their child more loving and free in this world. And so moving on, so why did you start the podcast? Because that's part of your sort of um, platform. Yeah, the reason I started the podcast is I love audio personally. I was a big podcast listener myself. I always wanted to work in radio and I did briefly work. So the reason I started the podcast was to reach busy parents, basically, to provide something, a good resource for free, which is, you know, podcasts are free and on demand. Uh, nothing like, oh, if you didn't sign up for this summit, poof, it's gone. Now you can purchase it. I believe strongly that every parent deserves social emotional support. So if I can be of any support, uh, I, you know, started doing the podcast and just educating parents about the very things that we covered here, emotions, trauma, stress, attachment, and personal growth in the context of parenting. It's not a how-to podcast, like how to potty train your kids in three days, but it's it's deeper than that. And I think it's more important work. And I love doing it. I love connecting with other people and introducing my listeners to what's out there. You know, as a busy mom or parent, they don't have time to watch a video or they're on the go, but you can listen to a podcast. And I make sure to provide quality information. And, um, you know, I, I also have like a, a monthly Q&A with the listeners. They send me parenting questions and and I answer them on air. So it's pretty, and I share my own parenting fails and uh, what I've learned from those mistakes. Like people love those stories too with my own daughter. So it's it's pretty powerful when people can hear you and connect with you. It's such an intimate medium. Sometimes listeners contact me and it's like, wow, I didn't know like how you impact people's lives. 
you think you're just podcasting in your own office and it's just you, but so many people listen and they may not even contact us, but it truly does impact many people. Amazing. I love it. So have you ever interviewed your daughter on your podcast to yes. ask her questions about your parenting? <laughs> yes, I have interviewed my daughter. She's been on my show, I believe, three times. She inter- interviewed me once for my birthday episode, and mm. I interviewed her. Uh, I asked her parenting questions also. And the third time she was, uh, we talked about her observations and impressions about our trip to Armenia and she shared what she saw and how it was meeting her grandfather for the first time and just being in a country where nobody speaks her language and things like that so honest sharing for my nine-year-old and she does want to be part of my podcast more and I accept I mean come on I'm not gonna invite my daughter all the time right (laughs) you can be your (laughs) co-host Yes, my I had a co-host for the monthly special episode. She resigned where we take listener questions and my daughter goes, I'll be your co-host. I'll talk. <laughs> and I may have a segment from the perspective of kids. She may be, you know, of some use, but she wants to start her own podcast. <laughs> of course she does. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's cute. I think, you know, she probably has like listening to you and and the lessons you've you know you're, you're teaching her she probably has a wealth of knowledge for children who are have experiences with parents that may not be comforting to look within themselves and to teach themselves emotional intelligence and have understanding for what their parents and the traumas they go through as they sort of live so that'd be very interesting and i uh, i support her doing her own podcast <laughs> Well, her podcast she wants to do about slime and, you know, kitty stuff. I don't think she would do about oh, nothing, nothing too deep. <laughs> it's just Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So we're just going to go and ask the last question that we always ask people on the podcast or second last question is let's get into dreams. So you've had multiple losses throughout your life. Have you ever dreamt of anyone who has passed away? Yes, I, I often see my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, who was a big influence on me. You know, she was she was really great support. And, you know, I've talked about her. I, I see her and it's always positive and happy. She's like combing her long hair or giving me some wise advice or something like that. The last time before I went to Armenia, I saw her in my dream. This was the first time I go, I was going and she was not there. So I didn't, again, go. Unfortunately, this is the true, true sad story of my life. The people who have passed away from my life, my grandparents, my uncles, my everybody, I never said goodbye to them. I never, except my maternal grandmother, sorry. Um, but the rest of the people, I never saw them. I was in America. They were there. So going back was hard for me, too, because the people who made my country who I identified my home country with, are gone, like my grandmother. But before I went to Armenia, I saw this beautiful dream. She was making peach preserves in the little kitchen, and she's like, taste it, it's so sweet. Anna, taste it, it's really lovely. And she was like making this happy thing. And wow, it was very special, very, very warm. And of course, those dreams, as you know, um, last with you for a long time, those the dreams of deceased, not all the dreams stay with you, right? But those are like the feeling stays with you. So, and uh, in terms of my mom, I don't see my mom in my dreams. But what I see is this, when I see a dream, it sort of feels like my mom is there, but she's not. But like the perceived notion is that she's part of this dream. But physically, I don't see her. It, it could be also the whole, given the whole story, history of my loss. But I do remember having those kind of dreams. Like I'm in a room and they're talking about my mom, that my mom is present. But where is she? What the heck is she? Like, but I know she's there. So that's the dream I have of my mom. But I always see my maternal gra- paternal grandmother. And my grandfather, when I see it's very, something serious about to happen in my life. It's like an alarming thing. 
other than that, uh, not so many dreams of the deceased, unfortunately. Wow, that's so interesting how, because you have so many different kinds. You said your grandfather comes in and it's almost like a warning or like, uh, you know, be aware. And then you have your grandmother who's, you know, giving you those comforting new memories almost of times you guys shared or just moments with her when it's just a loving thing. And why do you think that you haven't dreamt of your mom yet? Because, you know, like just talking with you here, like it seems like that was probably one of the most influential losses in your life. I know, right? I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me. I would love an insight into that. I don't know. Maybe again in my mind, I still haven't resolved that that disbelief. I don't know. It seems like we can never heal from trauma truly 100%. You know, we make peace with it. We make sense of it and we move on and we gain better tools to deal with it. But I don't know. Honestly, and you asked me last time on my podcast if I want to see my mother in my dream. And well, maybe you can ask me again. <laughs> <laughs> no, feel free. Take it away. <laughs> you asked me if I wanted to see my mom in my dream. I'm not so sure, honestly. I, I don't know. Maybe because I don't believe it's real. And for the for the... For many years, I didn't even want to visit her cemetery. I'm, I'm like, this is dumb. She's not here. Why am I kind, coming here, you know, and crying? And this is dumb why people do this. Like when I was a teenager, I had that resentment. And until now, I believe, I mean, she's with me. Maybe that's the truth. I don't know. Maybe I am her. I don't know. It's, it's a weird um, sensation. Sometimes I think my daughter is her, mm. um, you know. Yeah, it, it's very interesting it's to somehow, think about I it. Guess yeah, it's it's she's part of us, but maybe not physically. But no. Yeah, like one uh, the one thing that did stick out of my mind is when you're saying about the dreams that you do have of her, in the sense of you're looking for her or she's not around and people are talking about her, um, and she should be there but she's not. I you know like going back to your story, like you're probably very confused with her death uh, as a child, and so you probably didn't really fully grieve the loss at that moment because you still had hope, even though you had a sense she was dead. There's still that hope as a child that they will come back. Like your dad came back like was it about a year or seven months later. And that could really distort how you viewed the loss. And then now it's like, if you do see her in a dream, it could be the reality that she did die, you know? Um, just like with the avoidance of going to the cemetery there's a reason why you're avoiding that. You know, it's more about, I see it as more about acknowledging that she did die. I think it's, it's safer for a child to just, you know, put it to the back, say maybe one day I'll see her again, you know, but to actually acknowledge the death and say, no, she actually did die. And, you know, and you, as I said, like the cemetery is probably the same reason, you know, maybe why you haven't had a dream because both reflect the same reality that the person's dead. Yeah, true. And unfortunately, I don't have any memorabilia from my mother. You know, because of the earthquake, we lost everything. I mean, we have a few pictures, but like a scarf or a piece of jewelry or an item of hers, anything of that nature. I don't have anything that I think that plays a role too, because everything is so like, you know, fantasy. I don't know. You know, it's, um, it's, it's almost it's not real when you don't have any real thing. You're right. That's very interesting. Very interesting. So what dream, let's say now, since you, you did see the, you, you went to your, like the grave site, so you had acknowledged the loss. So what dream now would you want to have uh, moving forward? If you could, yeah, if you could pick one, setting-wise and... Oh, uh, truthfully, when I visited a cemetery I, or Armenia, I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, I wonder what kind of dreams, I'm, because I'm aware of my dreams now after we had the conversation and <laughs> And things like that. Um, I was going intentionally to my country. I was like hoping what will show up for me emotionally. And I'm like, I'm ready for this. But I didn't see my mother in my dreams until now. I don't know what kind of dream I would like to see. I would like to see a dream where um, it's my mom and me and my daughter playing. Something like that. Um, that she She's with me while I'm a parent. Of that nature. 
I like that. that that's be, nice. That was me too. I think that's really beautiful, and I relate to that. Just to. And so where would you? Want to... <laughs> yeah. It's okay, dude. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. No. I'm crying for you. Crying there for for Josh is listening and trying to be a man. <laughs> oh, I think I think that's really beautiful to want that to, you know. I just see in my my mind's eye that and I have it's just a really beautiful moment to have your mom and you and your daughter it's a really profound moment and I have no doubt that your mom that your mom is you know with you in spirit and has has been with you in your your whole parenting journey and I would obviously be so proud of everything you've done it means a lot. Thank you. It's 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 the only desire, you know. As as a grown woman, I'm 43. My mom was 35. Um, yeah. So it's like I can't even imagine how young that was when I was approaching 35. I had all sorts of weird feelings, and I was a mother already, and that was very emotional that year for me. But now I'm like I'm 43. Oh my gosh, my mother even never lived to see you know, experience all these things in life. Um, and when I see parents with their moms and, you know, grandparent, child, grandkids, relationships and things like that, I get jealous sometimes. Of course. Especially when, like, relationships are not good, somebody says, oh, my mom did this, my mom did that. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so, like, you're so lucky you have your mom who sees your kids. Um, you know, sometimes I even had thoughts, I wish... It was my mom who was alive, not my dad, uh, when I was younger, you know. I'm like, it would have been different, you know. I think what the mother gives to kids is different. Um, Absolutely. Not that I don't love my dad. I mean, he gave us so much. Don't understand wrong, but you miss that. There's always, no matter what, how much healing or evolving or growth we have, we do, there's always that empty corner in your heart that will never be filled and that's the truth that's the truth on mother's day that shows up on my birthday on my mom's birthday uh, you know the anniversary of the earthquake those things that, that shows up that I'm I am by myself you know I don't have my mother like all these other women do um right yeah beautiful well I am so touched by this episode. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I'm tired or just, <laughs> you know, spending the night feeding my daughter, which is just a joy. And and because I'm a new mom and I, that's been an emotional journey and stuff, but um, I'm so touched by your story and I have no doubt that the listeners are going to particularly love this episode. And thank you for being so... Um, vulnerable and honest and really beautiful thank you thank you for for the same things you know you you you're open and sharing your emotions too it means a lot i don't like when people hide their emotions you know they pretend that it's sad but okay i'm not gonna cry um before I got on the call, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to cry. I will do everything <laughs> to tell this story and not cry. Um, because I don't talk about this all the time. I perhaps shared a little bit of my story with someone else on a different podcast, but not fully. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I always held it to myself, thinking that I don't want to share it with the world. You know, this is my story, my pain, it's mine. But, but this is also like, a, a, a gift, a gift to, you know, for us to share this stuff. It's like, it's a gift to the world in my, in my, in my experience. And like, I cry like pretty much every episode. <laughs> so it's just like, it's, how can you not, when you hear people's stories and stuff, you know, there's a lot of episodes, pretty much every episode that I, I, I guest host, I cry at one point or another. <laughs> But it's it's life and it's humanity and it's totally allowed and and you know 
in the spirit of all the things we talked about, it's emotionally responsible, and I like that. It makes me feel alive. Thank you for listening, both of you and the listeners too. Yes, it was it was an amazing. I didn't know what you know what. I never know what can, uh, happens uh, in an episode. I have sort of some questions in mind I want to ask, but you just never know, you know, how, how the individual, how open they're going to be and how moving, you know, and if they will allow themselves to, to cry or to let out emotions and say certain truths that maybe they haven't said before. So I think it's, you know, thank you so much for doing that. It, it brings our show to life. It brings your story to life for people to get connected in a new way. Like if you didn't share some of that stuff, you know, that bond or that connection to what you've been through and where you are, it wouldn't have been there. And so you're def- definitely an inspiration to me and, you know, hopefully other people along the way uh, as you continue to move forward and help them with their parenting, help them seeing, uh, you know, who they are and what they need to face themselves. And, you know, I said like today you face something new. And I think that's a, you know, a great role model for someone to be, be able to do that. Um, and then teach people to do that afterwards. So thank you so much for sharing. And, you know, like it's such a heartbreaking journey, but it's also inspiring in what you've made of it. I think that's beautiful. And, you know, hopefully one day uh, you will, uh, you'll get a dream of your mom. Because I think now more than when last time we talked, you're more ready to, I think, hold that dream. And when you wake up um, and what those feelings would be when you, when you see her again. So I'll, uh, I look forward please to keep us posted. Yeah. yeah, yeah, please keep us both posted because I really look forward to hearing about that experience. And then so is there any place people can find you find your podcast if you can share all your contact information? The only and best place would be to visit my online home, my website, authenticparenting.com and everything lives there, including the podcast and um, you can learn about me and contact me and get resources and things of that nature. Beautiful. Thank and you so much. I'm guessing your podcast can be found on iTunes? Yes. Yeah, okay. So that's good. So listeners, please check her, her platform out uh, when you get a chance and even send her an email if you have questions about parenting. So, or even some feedback about this episode. You want to comment on something or just say thank you for her, her sharing or whatever, please feel free to reach out and... Uh, Drop her line. All right. So we're going to just end. And I want to send you a big virtual hug, both of you, especially Jade. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wait wait, wait a second. (laughs) That's okay. I'm okay with that. I won't get jealous. (laughs) But I might get jealous. I appreciate that. And I'm giving you a a big hug right back. Thank you. Uh, My heart is very, very full. And um, just, I'm filled with gratitude. And this just sets. Um, the tone for a beautiful day so I hope you guys have a great day and uh, yeah thank you thank you you're right both. it does you know like both there's certain podcasts that they're uplifting and you can move forward just like you say with gratitude in your heart and this is definitely one of them so I'm happy we we had a chance to do this today and so for great. our um, just our stuff so please visit our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic if you want to know more about our guest host or the team, so Jade Black, there's a little bio of her under our team if you want to check her out and what she's up to. Uh, if you have Facebook, you can join the Grief Dreams Facebook group and you can also check us out on Instagram or Twitter at Grief Dreams. And if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast yourself, please email us your story and what you'd like to share at griefdreamspodcast at gmail.com. I was, we'd like to finish with the saying, with love and gratitude from us to you.